This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Daniel Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio this week is a longtime friend of the show, John Levitt, a writer and artist whose work has appeared in The New Yorker, Motherboard, Racked, and Marvel Comics. His work has also appeared in The Toast, but I can see that that is no longer an important part of your bio because it no longer <laughs> exists. I wondered if I should put it in the bio or just have you mention it. Frankly, I think you were correct in assuming that I would find a way to work it into the conversation. I trusted you, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, you know, I think it's wise to only include publications that still exist uh, on your resume. Actually, half of those no longer exist now. So, Oh, God. Yeah, fair enough. There was like a good two-year stretch where I was the angel of death for online publications. I think all anyone who has ever done any freelance writing um, feels a little bit that way. Um, although uh, Racked is is living on, I believe, in an afterlife at at Vox, and you know, I'm sure someday the toast will be bought up by, I don't know, Brian Goldberg's ghost. <laughs> it, it'll it'll be replatformed as an entirely literal toast based vertical. Honestly, that's fine. You know, <laughs> that is. Not too bleak a picture of the future, as far as I'm concerned. Right. And um, I'm just going to apologize. We're recording in my apartment, and I am, like, surrounded by intermittent construction noise, because somehow even the Upper West Side can get gentrified. I mean, I love that you found a way to work the fact that you live in the Upper West Side into this conversation. Thank you. Um, We will be prepared for any construction noise. And um, thank you for just generally bringing a wonderfully withholding wasp energy to the show already yes uh i am not smiling but i can tell you my heart is breaking oh oh i sincerely hope not mr simpson okay we are mixing our waspy characters uh i i actually am gonna read this first letter because it has made me so mad i have not been able to sleep um, I think about this guy, and he makes me furious, so um, I deserve to get to read uh, things about him, is how I see it. So, the subject here is consent agenda. Dear Prudence, my husband of several years and I have been having more discussions about consent lately, which is generally a great thing, but he's taking things to extremes in a way that's taking a lot of the joy out of our relationship. At first, he decided that he didn't want to engage in any physical intimacy without explicitly discussing consent and parameters each time, and I was on board with that, thinking it would actually improve our connection. However, he recently decided he doesn't want to have any physical contact whatsoever without discussing consent first, so no spontaneous hugs and kisses or hand-holding. He moved out of our bedroom because he doesn't want to risk having incidental contact during the night that one of us didn't explicitly consent to. Last week, he got angry because I tapped him on the shoulder to get his attention while he had headphones on. I tapped him very lightly with one finger. He says he felt physically assaulted and that I should have texted him to interrupt him, not initiated physical contact. I don't know where this is coming from. In the past, neither one of us had ever expressed concern that the other wasn't obtaining consent clearly enough or that less touching generally would be in order. Of course, the right of any person not to be touched at any time for any reason overrides anyone else's desire for affection, but sleeping alone every night and asking my husband if I can hug him is not what I had in mind for our marriage. He did agree to marriage counseling, but we're on a waiting list that could take a couple of months or more to work through. So any advice you might have in the meantime to navigate this would be much appreciated. Harsh intake of breath through the nose, yeah. Yeah. I, I Before I get really mad, because I, I, I think that that is the correct response to this, <laughs> I want to pause and, and say, I suppose that it is possible um, that your husband is dealing with some trauma he has never shared with you and that has come up lately um, for unknown reasons uh, and that he doesn't right now have good language for telling you uh, what he's dealing with or why. Um, 
And, you know, if that's the case, maybe uh, there's a way that therapy will be helpful to the two of you and you can find a way to work through this. But my read on this um, is that your husband has adopted the language of, you know, consent and space um, in order to control you and to make you feel like you have to walk on eggshells around him and to punish you and to make you feel like you're a bad person for wanting to hug him. That's my read on this. I'm more or less the same. I, I want to get out in front of this and say, you know, if there's a case that is if your their husband is very literal or maybe very legalistic, like some of this is kind of lawyer behavior. But um, there is a theory in labor practice called a Kolkani strike or a rule book strike where the workers strike by obeying the rules very exactly and by um, like going slow. So like, I think he may be engaging in a bad faith Kolkani strike in your relation, their relationship. Yeah. I, I, again, that was my, my thought here too. Like this does not read to me like somebody who is uh, currently trying to like work through trauma and is panicked. This reads to me like, a, a, an attempt to control, manipulate, and and cow another person, basically. Um, saying, I don't want to accidentally touch you during the night, either implies that this guy thinks that his partner is so... Like, like, like he's either assigning to the letter writer a sensitivity the, set, the letter writer clearly doesn't have, um, or you know, is is trying to say, if you were to accidentally roll over and our hands touch in the middle of the night, that would somehow violate or be painful to me for reasons that I'm not willing or available to go into, which is just, again, in the absence of I'm suffering from something profound and overwhelming and I need your help processing it, it just seems to me like totally baffling, totally unreasonable, uh, a total abuse of, of the idea of the language of consent or the basic idea of consent. Um, and and it's just not, yeah, yeah, it's 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 just like a twist and perversion of what talking about consent means. Yeah, no, it's um, nothing about this really feels like it's in good faith unless they've been hiding, as previously mentioned, some never brought up trauma that has just suddenly emerged coincidentally with this uh, discussion of consent. Yeah, so, you know, on the one hand, like, as you say, if your husband has made it clear that he doesn't want to be touched without checking in, you know, don't do that, certainly. Um, but it also sounds like he's kind of trying to claim this This needs to be the rules for both of you. So if you haven't already, letter writer, I think to make it really clear, like, um, husband, if you need to talk about something, we can do that. But you need to know on my end, um, I'm very comfortable with sleeping in the same bed at night and accidentally touching each other. I am comfortable with spontaneous hugs and kisses. Um, so if this is something that you want to talk about, we can do that. But please do not pretend that this is something both of us want or need. And if if he hears that and he is able to say, okay, fair enough, this is me, this is my stuff, this is what I want, Maybe you'll be able to uncover something more. But if he tries to come back with this sort of like, no, 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 this is how it ought to be. Um, this is the right way for us to engage with one another physically. Then that really, again, that that sets up the red flags for me that suggests that this is like a really fucked up way um, to keep you constantly on edge, constantly feeling guilty, constantly feeling apologetic and constantly like you're doing something wrong. Yeah, it's that's this letter is definitely like a Mayday's parade worth of red flags. Yeah. So, you know, I would say you're on a waiting list for couples counseling that could take a couple of months or more. So don't don't feel like, okay, I guess I will just move through my house like a ghost until then and text my husband if I have permission to tap him on the shoulder. Um, uh, you, you know, I, I think it's it's time it's the, the time is long since overdue to have a conversation of you know, where is this coming from? And because he's your husband and because you apparently love him and you want to try to give him the benefit of the doubt, I think it's fair to, to, you know, ask that with an open mind and say, can you tell me more about where this is coming from? This really surprises me. Uh, I, you know, as I look back in the history of our marriage, I don't see anything that, that makes me think, wow, we were, we were handling consent or, or, or touching our boundaries really badly before. What's changed for you? And, you know, if he's got 
uh, an answer. And that doesn't mean like, again, if they're like on the off chance that there's some serious trauma here that he's just starting to work through. I, I don't want you to say like, you know, give me a laundry list of reasons right now or I'm fucking out of here. Um, but he needs to give you something other than just this is what consent looks like, because that's not true. So even if it's just he says something's come up from my past that I'm not really ready to go in depth about, but this is what I need for now. You know, you could work with that. Um, and I do want to leave space for that. I know I was initially like really mad, but if there's even a five to 10 percent chance that he is just really um, reacting right now to his trauma in a way that he, he he doesn't really know how to bring it up or how to ask for what he needs, I, I want to leave room for that possibility here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really painful and I'm really sorry. But, you know, at least if he can be honest about that with you, you can know, okay, this isn't necessarily my fault. Um, this is something that he's going to try to work through and I can hopefully be helpful to him and we can maybe set aside some time when we can touch and it is okay. Um, but if he's giving you nothing um, and if he just kind of comes back with this is just how things need to be from now on, um, you and I need to kind of treat each other like, you know, mutual prisoners of war um, and and our bodies are kind of no man's land um, and, and, he, and he's just like that's the way things need to be. That's really isolating. That's really um, painful. That's really uh, cruel. Uh, and and I think if he's not giving you any really justification for it, um, that's heartbreaking. And I think you need to talk to the other people in your life about it, like ask for help and support, maybe ask for a hug from a close friend <laughs> and figure out whether or not that's what you want from your marriage. Yep. All excellent advice and um, much more understanding than I would be when I first read this question. Well, yeah, because, you know, I, I I do think the likeliest explanation is probably that wherever this is coming from, this is out of a desire to control. But maybe not. Yeah, on, not, on, on the off chance, it's not. Yeah. But um, man, oh, man, you know, uh, this idea that, hey, I want to talk about consent. New rule that I'm imposing is that we never touch unless we've, like, sat down and hammered it out. Again, just reads like a parody of, of yeah, what, you know, like a troll thinks consent is yeah yeah it's like you know you don't want to endure a sit-down strike in your own marriage yeah because again i'm not suggesting that like if you're married to someone you should be cool with being touched constantly you should never talk about it that's not at all what i would uh say but um the 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 terms your husband is proposing is one that basically acts like there's no pre-existing trust between the two of you Mm -hmm. and if there's not that then either there's something he he needs to share with you that he needs help with or um, he is attempting to turn your marriage into an incredibly tense, terrifying, fraught place um, where you feel like you have to ask his permission to hold hands. Um, and that feels like a real red flag because that could absolutely get pretty emotionally fucked up pretty fast. Whew. And, you know, keep us posted. I want to know if you guys are able to talk more and if he has anything um, to kind of explain this sudden, really abrupt change and where this is coming from. All right. You get to take the next letter, which, frankly, I'm like, <sighs> this is easy. It's just uh, child custody. It's not, uh, but it, it is, in fact, incredibly tricky. Subject. Stranded stepdaughter. Dear Prudence, my boyfriend had a five-year marriage where he raised his stepdaughter from age four. Her biological father refused to give up his rights, so my boyfriend has no legal recourse to his little girl or legal responsibilities. His ex is hateful. She uses access to this little girl as a noose to drag my boyfriend around. He refused to pay a grand for her broken car. She got him banned from attending her ballet recitals, which he pays for. She also plays mind games with her daughter, telling her daddy doesn't want you because he has met me, or straight up lying and telling her daughter I was the reason why the marriage ended. I met my boyfriend a year later. It has gotten to the point where I have to leave our apartment if my boyfriend gets his care visit if his stepdaughter comes over. We were talking about a future together, but I can't see one. I don't want to tell him to abandon this child, but I'm not willing to trade the next seven or nine years of my life waiting. I want to get married and have my own children. What do I do? What should they do? Uh, Oh, I read this like five times and I just went, I have no idea. I'm sorry. I just, this Mm -hmm. is a bad situation for everyone. Yeah, I, I 
was actually sort of hoping that you would have like a really fantastic answer in your pocket. No, I, I, I was hoping like you knew, law, knew more about law than I did. Like, I do not know hardly anything about law. No, I was um, just... As listeners of the podcast can definitely attest. <laughs> I'm like, is there like a custody claim he could make? Because he raised like, I, honestly, I, both the letter writer and the boyfriend, like they're just being completely screwed over by this ex. Yeah, I mean... And the daughter, too, uh, like, being used as bait. Yeah, I, I, that's really, really painful. I would say, you know, I I don't know. Maybe your boyfriend absolutely has no legal recourse. That that very much could be the case. Um, but, you know, if it's been a couple of years since he last spoke to a lawyer about this, you know, it, it cannot hurt to spend an hour or two talking to a lawyer about any options he may have. Like if the biological father has never been in contact with the child um, and he can establish that he has acted as a parent, maybe he can try to establish some custody. Again, that's probably a really, really long shot, depend- and especially depending on what state you're in. Um, I know it's really difficult to establish um, you know, custody of a child that you never adopted, but um, he should talk to a lawyer about that. That is a great thing to talk to a lawyer about. Um, and he should just get as much information as possible. Um, so th- that's one thing right there is like, I, I worry that he's just like, oh, I never got around to adopting her when we were married. And we had one conversation with her biological father where he said, no, I'm keeping my parental rights. But nobody actually consulted a legal professional and they just sort of ran with that. And now they assume that that's all that they can do. And that may not be the case. I don't know. Talk to a lawyer. Yes. Uh, so that that's that part um the other part is you know i i i don't think that your boyfriend should like try to phase himself out of your stepdaughter's his stepdaughter's life i feel like that's a little bit what the letter writer is kind of hoping uh, they will hear mm-hmm. um and again i don't mean to say like the letter writer sounds like a nice person they don't sound like they're trying to like break up a pre-existing family so they can just get this guy to start over. But it does sound like they're kind of hoping for, look, he's tried really, really hard. Her biological father kept the rights. So frankly, you know, he's gone above and beyond what he needs to. I think he can like, you know, say he's done being her dad. Uh, I don't think that. I think this is, uh, he will probably keep having to, you know, deal with his difficult ex-wife um, uh, at least until their daughter is 18, um, if not longer. Um, and the question is going to be, you know, if you want to build a life with him, um, how do you both support him when he wants to spend time with his daughter and is able to, um, while also, you know, if, if you want to not be around when his ex drops the kid off so that you don't get yelled at, I think that's fine and fair. Mm-hmm. Um, but you got to talk to him. You know, you say, I'm not willing to trade the next seven or nine years of my life waiting. Um, you know, I, I I don't know what trading the next seven or nine years of your life means to you. Right? Like, does that mean, like, I don't know how often this woman is in touch with you directly or how often, you know, is he spending like 40 hours a week dealing with her in a way that's so overwhelming and painful to him that he's constantly coming to you about it? Or, you know, does he see this girl like once a month and you occasionally hear secondhand that her mother said something shitty about you? Because, you know, in between those two extremes, uh, there's a lot of nuance that doesn't there's like a lot of possibilities that doesn't necessarily mean you'd be putting your life on hold if you stayed with him. Yeah, there's a sort of a nuance of intensity missing from the letter. Mm -hmm. Like you have to sort of discern like, yeah, is this happening every day? Are you in constant contact? Like, wh- what does waiting mean in this point? Yeah, but you know, I think this is good. If you say to yourself, if things never got better, um, if these, if things stayed exactly this amount of, you know, full of conflict, um, and it was he was spending as much time as he does right now on this particular relationship, under those conditions, could I see any way where I could be married to him, have children together? Um, and also be a reasonably happy person. Um, and if the answer is absolutely not, then, you know, don't get involved with somebody who has a kid. 
Um, and he does have a kid, you know, like you say, I don't want him to abandon this child, but I'm not willing. And I just got to say, like, even the implication that it's not abandonment if you try really hard and she's not technically biologically yours and the ex-wife is really difficult. Like, that's just bullshit. That's like biological essentialism. And you got to let it go. Yeah, it does sort of like sound like they would see that as like the simple answer to the solution. And it, it would be simple, but it would also be cruel. And it just like, I don't think you would say that if if the child were biologically and biological is such a weird word anyways like if this were genetically his child i don't think you would say that um or maybe you would i don't know you shouldn't say it then either but like he is this girl's father um the fact that some other guy you know provided the sperm for her uh that's a weird phrase uh, to make her uh, you know what i mean i, I know like but a sculpture it, that, that the they word made choice sounded a little like sperm. fairy tale it sounded a little bit like they like made a, a crafts project together and then she turned into a little girl overnight. The point is, um, I'm bad at describing heterosexual reproduction. Um, the point is, yeah, um, you know, have your boyfriend talk to a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Ask yourself if things never get better. Can you see yourself having children with him? Find out if there are any ways that you can encourage him to, um, you know, minimize the effect that his ex-wife has on you personally um and if you still cannot see yourself happily having children with this guy um wish him well thank him for the time you two have shared together and go find a guy who does not have kids and marry him and have kids with him (laughs) see it was easy after all well yeah you know i mean like you say it's gotten to the point that i have to leave our apartment if my boyfriend gets the rare visit if his stepdaughter comes over that's not great but it's also you know you say she comes over really rarely. So if that means a couple times a year you leave the house for a weekend and like have a trip with some friends or go visit a sibling, you know, that might not be that bad. And I don't know if you have to leave because the ex-wife is making a scene or if you have to leave because his daughter is uncomfortable around you and he hasn't done much to correct the impression she's gotten from her mother that Mm -hmm. he left her mother for you. Again, like there's a lot of variables there. So you guys have to figure out, is there a better solution than you leaving the house? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, he's not going to abandon her. My advice is not that you can say, hey, just give up. You did great. Um, <laughs> either find a way to stick around with this guy or find a guy with no children. Yay, we're doing so great. We're doing I, so great. And this this next one, um, I I'm excited for. I am too. I think this one is a little bit lower key. It's a little more, I don't know, I'm kind of excited about it. I feel like there's a lot we can do here. Which one are you, by the way? Because the subject is practical man married to a hopeless romantic. Are you, are you one of those two categories of people? Are you both? What's your deal? Oh, um, my deal is I get to talk about social reproduction th- theory. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. Fantastic. Then I will read this letter and then get out of your way. All right. Dear Prudence, My wife of 20 years is a hopeless romantic who wants old-fashioned doting and wooing. Those are her words. She wants me to completely set up and surprise her, for example, with Valentine's Day plans. But nothing is a bigger turnoff for me than treating another adult in this manner. I was a teenage father, and I've had people entirely dependent on me my whole life. I long for a practical partnership, someone locking arms with me and tackling life together. She's a stay-at-home mother, and our kids are all older, so now she has 10 times the available time for planning, scheduling, etc. than I do working a demanding job. I love her, so of course I make a good-faith effort to indulge her romantic side from time to time. But she sees this as an emotional need and something she, quote, can't live without. How can I navigate this seeming incompatibility without building resentment on either side? You've got a theory for this. Yeah, Okay, so there's social reproduction theory, which basically states that everything done outside the formal job of selling your labor to get money also counts as work. That includes things such as raising children, having children, scheduling appointments, being romantic, keeping the house in tidy order, um, educating children. So what I hear here is someone who is of 20 years, a wife of 20 years, so you've known this person for a very long time. This isn't something they just sprung on you. They have been laboring for you, providing the work of social reproduction for 20 years, and now they've got more time. Sorry, you've got to pay up. Suck it up. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She clocked out for the day. Yeah, she's clocked out. And I, I, if it turns you off this much, why are you still married? Yeah, I'm definitely um, curious about, like, the kind of partnership I want 
Um, is somebody locking arms with me? And yet for 20 years, uh, you know, I've had my partner be a stay-at-home parent. And, like, maybe maybe that was 100% from her. Maybe you were like, no, baby, I really want to both split childcare 50-50, which, you know, may I don't know. Maybe you tried that. Maybe you tried that really hard. And she was like, absolutely not. We are lucky enough to have enough money that one of us can stay home full time. And I insist that it be me. But, you know. I, I kind of doubt that she bullied you into letting her be a stay-at-home mother. I, I, I kind of wonder whether that worked for you for a really long time and now it doesn't and you're trying to kind of frame this as like, oh no, what I need is this kind of partner that she isn't when it's like, mm, I think you probably got a lot out of this situation for a really long time. Yeah, no, I'm sitting here with a banner that says, like, wages for housework. So I'm like, if that means you have to, like, occasionally schedule a Valentine's Day thing or maybe you need to surprise her with a dinner, just suck it up. Yeah, and again, you know, the, uh, like, I, I think it's also fine if part of what you want is sometimes for her to surprise you. Like, I, I would actually have a lot of room for, you know, if you said, I also want to feel valued in this fashion and I want to sometimes ask for uh, certain surprises or certain celebrations. Um, but uh, phrasing, asking somebody to, like, surprise you with flowers and a nice dinner on something like Valentine's Day and then saying, you know, as a former teenage father, which, like, you know, that means that you got a teenage girl pregnant. Um, and I bet that was a lot harder for her than it was for you. Like... <laughs> Yeah. Not that being a teenage father isn't hard, but, like, you didn't have to give birth, man. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I'm just like, yep, she's clocked out. Yeah, so just, yeah, just that kind of, like, well, I was a teenage father, and it's like, okay. Um, Takes two to tango, mister. Come on. That 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 doesn't mean, like, because you got a teenager pregnant when you were a teenager, you now shouldn't have to take your wife out to dinner once a year. Um, that's not the, like, get out of jail free card you seem to think it is. Yes, no, um, meet, so, meet a minimum standard of uh, maintaining an emotional relationship. Yeah, and this whole, like, I've had people entirely dependent on me for my entire adult life. Um Let's pick that apart a little bit. Um, <laughs> I talk to a single mom every once in a while. Yeah. And this whole idea of like you're grouping, you know, I, I don't think that this uh, it's it's unclear whether or not your wife of 20 years is the same um, person you became a father with as a teenager. It kind of sounds like those are two different women. Um, the The grouping together of the women who have been partnered to you with the children you have helped raise is, mm, how do I say it? Super gross and sexist. Um, it's, it, 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 how do you say? Oh, fucking disgusts me. Um, that was a very bad French accent. Um, yeah. So I, you know, uh, I, I, I don't want to, I feel like I'm being very hard on this letter writer. So I just want to clarify again, um, it is okay to sometimes feel like, uh, you're being asked a lot and you you haven't asked for much in return. If there's something in particular that you want or need, I, I think it's always good to speak up and advocate for yourself. Um, I, I, I don't think that you are a horrible monster, and I'm, I'm very glad that you have been able to um, provide financially for your family in such a way that one of the parents was able to stay home and raise the kids full-time. But, you know, uh, yeah, again... Asking to be wooed is not the same thing as dependence. Um, that's asking to be treated specially um, and with delight and to be affirmed. And framing that as the same thing as like a child needing to be fed on a regular schedule because they are physically helpless is, again, gross. Don't do that. They're not the right. same thing. Yeah, Both parties need to come to the negotiating table as labor and management and work out an organization that no, is... No, no, because I feel like this guy already sees himself as management and the women in his life as, like, employees. No, and I, 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 think was, I was speaking to him that way because that seems like the way he understands it. Oh, you see, I, I want him to stop understanding it in that way. I need him to stop thinking of himself as, like, the foreman of his home factory. Well, uh, perhaps some of those, um, like, you know, as you mentioned, maybe he has some needs as well that could be met. Mm -hmm. And they could meet meet themselves a little halfway. But again, it doesn't sound like she's asking for much. Yeah. So, yeah, if you want to say, like, I, I don't want to do this all the time, I would like to sometimes also be, you know, 
given flowers or I would occasionally as a gift like to have a Sunday all to myself where I just like read and go for a walk and I don't, you know, take care of anybody. All that's fine. And you're allowed to ask for those things. Um, But, um, uh, you know, comparing wanting to be treated specially on an anniversary of Valentine's Day to the kind of dependence that being a parent um, requires is not okay. You need to stop doing it. Um, And you navigate this by finding plays to compromise, talking to one another reasonably, not with like, this is the biggest turnoff in the world and you are dependent on me like a child when you want a nice dinner. Um, And also, you know, look at why did you marry a hopeless romantic and then also have a like one person works outside of the home and one person works in the home, presumably for no wages for such a long time? And why is it only bothering you now when Mm -hmm. all that's being asked of you is the occasional, again, like bouquet and box of chocolates? That seems like kind of doable, my guy. Yes, very doable. Yeah. So that is, I think... That's as generous as I'm going to be to that letter writer. Um, I got nothing else. I got nothing else less left to give him. So um, we're going to move on to a very different kind of father. Oh you boy. get to read this letter and um, have fun okay. with it. Have a great time. Subject. My dad hired an escort for me. Dear Prudence, my dad took me to see an escort over the winter break. He knew I was a virgin and thought I'd be thrilled at having sex at the, for the first time with a beautiful, experienced woman. I freaked out when I realized what was happening and that, in fact, my dad also sees escorts without my mom's knowledge. My dad crossed a huge boundary and I'm furious with him. He said if my mom found out, their marriage would be ruined and I didn't want to destroy Christmas for my sisters, so I kept quiet. I don't even know if I could explain what happened to my mom. I feel ill and ashamed whenever I think about my dad. He's apologized, but I don't want to talk to him at all. I can't afford therapy on my own, and I don't know how to explain to my mom why I suddenly need to talk to a professional. Sometimes I feel like I'm a wimp who is overreacting. What do I do with these emotions? Jesus. Uh, I'm, I'm going to betray my heritage, my staunch New England heritage here and just say, say nothing, repress it, create a reason why you're seeing a psychiatrist. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I'm so, A of all, I am just wildly sorry uh, that this happened. Yeah, I, and I don't all. think you're overreacting at all. Like this is no, extremely no. messed up. This is not normal. This, this is like in every way that your father could have put you in the worst possible situation. He put you in the worst possible situation. It's like a pristine prestige drama backstory for a main character. And not even prestige. I feel like they did this like on New Girl a couple of years ago, where there was like a <sighs> flashback to like how funny it was that somebody's dad, like you know hired the services of some sex workers to help the, like, guys lose their virginity. And... It's, not, it's not funny. It's not funny at all. Yeah, These it wasn't nervous, funny on Zoe Deschanel's vehicle, and it ain't yeah. funny now. Um, I, you know, for starters, I hope he paid her beforehand, regardless. Um, and I hope he tipped well. Um, oh, I hadn't even be... thought of the labor issue. Yeah, damn it, John. Ah. You were supposed to be keeping an eye on the labor issue, and you oh, dropped such, the ball. I'm such a bad Marxist. Um, it's, you're forgiven. You get one. Um, so definitely go see a professional right away. Um, if your mom, you know, uh, if your mom is being really, really, um, pushy about it, um, you know, what would be a good excuse? That would not, like, alert a parent so much that they would start, like, getting really, really hovery. Uh, well, uh, that's really culturally dependent, I think. Right. Like, right. all we know about them is that they celebrate Christmas. Right. So, but, like, you know, this is presumably college age. You say, I'm having some troubles adjusting to college. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm getting really nervous thinking about the future. Um, I'm having a hard time thinking about what I want to do with my life, and I think it would help. Uh, you could say something like a friend of mine was really anxious about, you know, figuring out uh, what they wanted to do next. And a therapist really helped them. And I think it would mean a lot. You know, I don't want you to say anything that would be so serious that your mom would like panic and um, try to uh, intervene unnecessarily. But say whatever you need to say to get the therapist. Um, yeah, d- definitely put your own oxygen mask on first. Yeah. Here. Yeah. 
And then, you know, it's super reasonable that you're furious uh, with your dad. And it was unbelievably fucked up for him to, you know, give you information and then say, by the way, if your mother knew, it would ruin our marriage. And now you know this because I decided to tell you. Um, that's a horrible position to put you in. He should never have put you in it. Um, in, in addition to setting time for you to see a sex worker without talking, uh, like, blah, everything about that is awful. Um, so if you just need to not talk to your dad, just go ahead and do that. And if you get to a point where you, um, I, I would just say whatever you decide to do next makes sense to me. Like if you, if you decide I cannot keep this secret from my mother, um, and it's not my responsibility to keep their marriage together, um, it, no one should have given me this information in the first place. I, I have to say something. I get that. Um, if you decide that you cannot say that to her because you can't feel like you were even the messenger of such devastating news, I also get that. Um, and I just want to like underline, you are not a wimp who is overreacting. Your father made you involuntarily a co-conspirator in his own adultery. Your dad handed you a bomb. Yeah. And you're worried, like, I'm not sure. Is it worried that it's ticking? It's like, yeah, no, be worried. It's your feelings are totally valid. Find a way to see a professional. Yeah. And then, you know, like you, you, you didn't want to destroy Christmas for your sisters. And that's just so much pressure and responsibility to put on you. Because again, of course, you know, this is devastating news. This is not news that it's just going to like casually be received. And then, you know, everybody moves on. This is news that would fundamentally change. You know, it has already fundamentally changed the way you see your father. Mm -hmm. um, and it's going to, if anyone else ever finds out, it's going to change the way your sisters feel about him and the way your mother feels about him. And um, I, I'm just so sorry that you were put in this position. So I, I think mostly what I want to say, uh, regardless of anything else, like you were a kid, um, you were a very, it sounds like relatively young person. I, I feel like this letter writer um, is probably closer to 18 than they are to like senior and college age. Mm -hmm. Um and this is just so much for you to deal with. So I think, number one, get that therapist. And you don't have to decide anything right now. Um, you don't have to cover this up for your dad. You're not responsible for lying to him. But if you don't feel ready to tell your mother this, I get it. And um, you don't have to. So um, basically, focus on looking after yourself. Your dad gets to be as uncomfortable as he needs to be. Um, <laughs> and... Take your time. Figure out um, what can you live with? What's something you can envision and what's something you can't? Um, what are the worst case scenarios? Uh, what are the worst case scenarios that you would be prepared to entertain and what are the ones that you wouldn't be? Um, uh, and, you know, if it were me, I would probably end up telling my mother. But I can certainly understand why someone would just decline to be responsible for sharing that information with their mom. I really, really do. Um, but I would just be so worried that it would come out like that. If, if I ever got mad at my dad about something else, I would just blurt it out. Um, I, I would be worried, you know, certainly like a little bit for my mom's health, just in the sense that like, my guess is he's also not great about like practicing safe sex. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the sort of elephant in the room. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I just yeah, – you kind of have my permission to do whatever you need to do to look after yourself. And you are not overreacting. Um, it, 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 you know, even while you're waiting for a therapist, if you need, like, a locked journal – and definitely keep it locked because I think a worst-case scenario would be one of your siblings finds your journal and reads it. And that's how everybody finds out. Um, but find some place to let this out that's confidential – um, whether that's like calling a crisis hotline um, or talking to someone who lives very far away and is super, super discreet or finding that therapist or um, writing it all down and then burning it. Um, find somewhere to communicate this. Mm -hmm. All right. So I will read this next letter. The subject is happily divorced. Dear Prudence, my ex and I divorced five months ago after 20 years of marriage. The breakup was difficult, but amicable. We still have friends and interests in common, and we run into each other about once a month. Recently, I've started dating a mutual friend of ours. My new boyfriend and I are very happy, and it's becoming quite serious. 
I know my ex will find out eventually, and I'm afraid it will hurt his feelings. He tends to have low self-esteem. My question, is it more respectful to let my ex find out organically, for example, through friends or social media? Or should I be upfront and send him a note to let him know? I don't want to rub it in his face. Well, like, the only uh, conflating issue, because, you know, one of the reasons people get divorced is so they no longer have to manage other people's emotions. You know, you're not responsible for other people's uh, feelings, and, like, I'm not sure what flaunting it would actually look like, but it is a very recent divorce. Like, five months is pretty short. Yeah, I think uh, you're not doing anything wrong. So if you decide that it would feel too uncomfortable or awkward to call up or text your ex-husband and say, by the way, I'm dating someone you already know, you don't have to. That would be fine. You would not be violating some universal law of, you know, being a good person. Um, If you did want to let him know, um, I think rather than a note, just a quick text or a quick phone call when you're kind of already just shooting the shit um, and you can keep it brief, just go with, um, by the way, I just want to let you know that, you know, Timmy and I are dating now. Hope you're well. Talk some other time. Um, like, don't don't go into, you know, I wanted to break it to you kindly or I'm worried about your self-esteem or, hey, I wanted you to hear from me first. Like, just give him the information. Keep it neutral. Um, that would be the only, I think, non-condescending way to communicate this information to him. Yeah, and I would say, like, I maybe, like, hold off on, I don't like, sharing f- tagged photos on Facebook r- r- until, like, a f- some time has passed or they know first yeah i mean that's the thing right is if um i think one advantage to talking to him just just and again i wouldn't say you have to do this every time you start dating someone but just because it's the first relationship sort of soon after your divorce and it's somebody he already knows it's a slightly different situation than if like you two had gotten divorced a year ago and you just like met somebody on a dating site in which case i would say no certainly don't tell him um but it might feel a little less uncomfortable for you if, like, you and your boyfriend are out in public and you run into a mutual friend party. You might think, oh, no, is today the day my ex-husband finds out? And you might just feel a little more at ease if you just give him a heads up. Again, without using the phrase, I wanted to give you a heads up. Like, don't <laughs> do not do any sort of preface of, like, I assume you're going to take this a certain way slash I assume you're not also dating. <laughs> um, but, yeah, he may very well uh, find it painful. And if he does, he can talk to his friends about it. The beauty of being his ex-spouse is that um, you don't really have to worry about his self-esteem anymore. You can kind of wish him well from a distance. Um, but that's, you know, not... What's the, what's the expression? Not my dog, not my circus? Not my monkey, not my circus. Not my monkey, not my circus. Sure. It's not your animal of any kind and you're not responsible for anybody else's entertainment. Yeah, this is this is one of the complications sort of unique to heterosexual relationships. Yes. I, I, I do feel like it's a little bit of a stereotype to say that like every gay or bi or trans person, like all of their exes have dated or hooked up at some point. But it's usually a much, much smaller community, so there's a little bit less of this sense of, like, how could this happen? How could someone I date date someone else I also dated or, you know, a friend? It's like, it does happen. Yeah, yeah. I had I had two mutual exes who moved to the same city at the same time and met each other independent of me, and I know that because I got a text message from each of them, like, on the, the end of their first date. That is so cute. How did it work out? Are they still together? Oh, oh dear God, no. (laughs) But it was cute for a while. Good. I'm glad it was cute for a while. And I hope someday each one of them receives a text from two of their exes and so on and so forth. And uh, Well, now it just sounds like a pyramid scheme. And two of their exes? Two of their exes? Yes. Yeah. I am doing multi-level marketing for getting your exes to date each other. And um, I'm going to start with mine. So (laughs) later today, I will be choosing two of my exes who I think would be suited for one another. And I will try to engineer a meet-cute. Again, another excellent podcast idea. I will 100% not be doing that. I wish them... (laughs) All the best, and I don't want to um, have anything to do with their future choices in dating because they are autonomous beings. And uh, also, I just I can't imagine. Oh, I'm trying to think now of like who are the two that I would set up if I had to. I got nothing. I got nothing. I'm not going to do it. It's not wise. But uh, you know, congratulations on finding someone you like to date and on having an amicable divorce. And even if your ex husband is real bummed out, um, you don't have to apologize because that's why you guys got divorced so you could date other people all right last one this one feels so i don't know it feels very waspy to me 
Um, maybe just because the subject line is, am I addicted to helping my mother? And that's what I associate with waspiness. I don't know. I grew up in the Midwest. Look, I, I read this, and you're going to have to read it. I read this one, and I just thought, is this something else I can blame Protestantism on? So, am I addicted to helping my mother? Dear Prudence, my mother is almost 70, and she's constantly on the edge of being homeless and penniless. She has a BA in children's education, but is no longer interested in teaching. Really, she doesn't want to work at all anymore. She wants to retire, but she has no savings. Over the past 10 years, I've tried to help get her out of financial binds. A couple years ago, I gave her $3,000 to keep her afloat for the rest of the summer until school started again. But a month later, she called me saying she didn't know where all the money went. We've tried over the last five years to have her live with my husband and me. We're well off. We have plenty of room for her. The problem is that we live in another state, far from all of her friends and the rest of the family. This last summer, after her half-hearted plans to live with a flaky friend fell through, she was homeless and jobless. We took her in and hoped that she would stay. She enjoyed being here. She'd admitted that she'd been lonely before, but she went right back after the summer was over, buying plane tickets without even discussing it with us. Now she's in a bind again. She's overextended on her debts and barely bringing in any money. We told her the only help we'll give her from now on is to come live with us. No more cash. But then my sister and brother are left feeling the pressure to help mom. They've both encouraged mom to come live with us, but she is adamant about staying where she is. I'm so used to giving her money. It was very difficult during the holidays and her birthday to not just write her a check. I feel like I am addicted to helping her, and she is addicted to being helpless. My question is, are we doing the right thing? How can we better help my mom? This is the most Presbyterian problem I have ever heard. I, I, is it at all like the movie The Ice Storm? Yeah, well, this is a little more The House of Yes. Okay. But, um, you know, not to get into, I don't know, Max Weber and the Protestant work ethic, your mom is 70. She's clearly not going to change. If only there were some sort of large-scale society-wide safety net that would allow her to stay and have a dignified life in in the place where she wants to with all her friends, that would be great. But the onus falls to the individual because we live in a capitalistic society. So... um, you know what? She's not going to change. You say you have money. Just give her money. You are now Social Security. Honestly, that's kind of where I'm coming down um, on this one. Like, a lot of people, you know, will have a similar question, but it's like, uh, you know, my mom spends all the money on, like, you know, light up Caterpillar dolls, and she yells at me constantly, and I feel like I have to do this, or I'm a monster. Do I have permission to stop? And in those situations, absolutely you do. But, you know, Yeah, as you say, this woman is almost 70. Um, Hopefully, you know, being close to 70 doesn't mean that we are incapable of change. But yeah, this lifelong habit is probably unlikely to turn all the way around. Um, You have the money. Um, You know, I think maybe find an amount of money a month you're comfortable giving her and do that. Like just say, Mom, from now on I'm going to send you a monthly check for such and such an amount um, and then do it. And beyond that, then if she like gets into a, another bind, you can say like, nope, it's just that amount um, and hold that line. But like if you've got the money and it, it means she's able to live in a city where she can see her friends and doesn't feel like she's just like living in a garret. I, I don't know. Like what would be the value in being like, no, mom, you've got to learn how to start scrimping and saving now. Like, <laughs> you you must express proper Protestant virtue now. Look, I mean, I I, I – I, 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 I'm here for doing the best you can in, in terms of saving. And um, I, that's not to say that I think your mom has like behaved beautifully and perfectly. Um, but, you know, you kind of I, I, I don't think that addiction is like a helpful framework here, basically. Yeah, no, it, it's it's more like uh, living with dignity and respect. And she doesn't want to move someplace where she doesn't know anyone. And that's would be incredibly isolating and kind of cruel. And, you know, I'll just I'll, I'll just say like. It's also okay if you decide you don't want to do that. It is 100% fine to also say to your mom, you know, you are 70 years old. I've given you thousands of dollars over the last couple of years. Um, Whenever you decide you are happy to come and live with us, you already know she enjoys it. So it's not exactly like you're locking her away in the attic. Um, And then to just say, but I'm done giving you cash. That would be okay, too. I I guess mostly what I want to say is. Don't worry that if you give her money that you are addicted and enabling and a bad person. 
Um, and don't think that if you decide you can come live with us for free, um, but we're done just giving you cash. I, neither one of those is bad. I think those both make a lot of sense to me. Neither one would be like abandoning her. Um, I lean towards just giving her the money because it's not difficult for you financially. Um, but, you know, you have my blessing to do either one of those things. Yeah, just don't don't conceptualize it as like an addiction enabling framework. Think of it more as, boy, wouldn't it be great if there was some sort of senior care in this country? Yeah, yeah. Like this does not feel to me like in the same category as like every time I've given my mom money, she's like bought a yacht and run away. Like, <laughs> yes, it sounds like she has not done a great job planning ahead, but it also sounds like she's been teaching for decades. She would like to retire. Um, my guess is that, you know, she never made a ton of money, even with her BA in children's education, such that she was able to build up a huge nest egg. Um, yeah, teaching that famously well-paying profession. Yeah, so this doesn't feel like, man, she really needs to like learn her lesson or like stop buying yachts. Um, yeah, I, I would say if the only reason you feel guilty about doing it is this kind of vague idea that you shouldn't give cash to someone, let let that fear go. Just give her some cash when you can. Um, but that does not mean that you have to wait for her to come to you in a panic and then just blindly open your checkbook and give her everything. It's also really okay to like sit down and have a conversation with her and say like, here's the pattern as I see it. Um, I want to be helpful to you. I also can't, um, you know, drop everything constantly whenever you run into trouble. So can you tell me a little bit about your financial needs? And I can tell you a little bit about what I'm able to do. And maybe we can figure out a monthly amount that works for the both of us and beyond that no more. Um, that would be great if you were able to do that. I hope that that works out for you. Um, yeah, but y y you're not, you know, the addiction language just doesn't really seem necessary here. So let, let that burden be lifted from your shoulders. John, thank you so much for bearing with us during uh, a number of construction-related and uh, recording-related difficulties. Uh, no problem. I'm apparently the technical gremlin of podcasts, as this has happened the last three times. Is there um, any like last generalized piece of advice you want to leave our listeners with uh, before you head on out? Uh, before I head on out, I just want to say that I've got a really big piece coming up in The Baffler on March 5th. Uh, it's about American propaganda through the ages and particularly like the first Red Scare. Um, it's all illustrated by me. I spent a lot of time on it. I'm really proud of it. And I uh, hope hope your uh, listeners will check it out. And um, remember, the only dangerous minority is the rich. John, thank you so much. Uh, I hope that your next cheese toast is uh, wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. And production assistance was by Taylor Simmons. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds a minute, tops. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.